1: It's time for the B-A-Q-A-A, the B-A-Q-A with Tiffany, the B-A-Q-A, no man D, the B-A-Q-A with Farnoosh Tarabe. Ow, it rhymes! Honestly, every time... Manny's not here. The person sitting there, somehow I figure out a way to rhyme. Okay, somebody needs to sign me to a deal. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> in the stew. That, today. Should, that should not be hard. You're Tiffany <laughs> That should not be hard. <laughs> well, I'm super excited because I have to Tarabi in the stew today. She is one of America's leading personal financial authorities, hooked on helping you live your richest and happiest life. She's also a friend of mine. She's so dope. She's a multi best selling financial author. Former CNBC host and creator of the Webby-nominated podcast, So Money, which is an awesome podcast if you're not listening to it, do it. Farnoosh has become one of the country's favorite go-to money experts. She, The New York Times actually calls her advice perfectly practical, right? So Farnoosh's award-winning and critically acclaimed podcast, So Money, has surpassed 25 million downloads. That's a lot, just in case you didn't know. And thanks to his one-of-a-kind interviews and deep conversations about money, on the show, she spotlights um, leading experts and authors and influencers from Ariana Huffington to Margaret Cho to the queen herself, Latifa and Tim Gunn and me about their personal financial perspectives, money, failures and habits. She also answers listeners' personal financial questions each week, which she's going to help me do today. And she is the new author. Well, she's been an author four times over, but a new book called A Healthy State of Panic. And what's so awesome is like, if you're listening to this, that means the episode that we did a few days ago, a couple days ago, It's all about Farnoosh, her new book. And honestly, I think you need to hear and Go back and listen to it because Farnoosh really helps to turn fear on its head and how you can use it as a tool for, you know, the things that you're seeking. And we're going to talk about it, you know, in this episode too, but um, with BAQA. But I think, I think you're going to love that episode. So go listen to it. Welcome to the stew, Farnoosh. Thank you. Thank you for that generous introduction. Do you ever have, do you you ever have like a nickname? Was it just always Farnoosh or like? Noosh. Oh, noose. Okay, noose. That's noose. Cute. I like that. Hey, noosh.
2: <laughs> Nooshy, but I, I prefer noosh. Okay, okay. Yeah. I like you're it. you're, okay. you're definitely, you're allowed. It's like, <laughs> the, it's not like, you don't need permission, but it's like, if you know me, you know, and like, I don't really share that with people, but <laughs> that we are,
1: <laughs> world, noosh. <laughs> I know, sometimes people are like, hey, Tiff, and I'm like, I mean, I don't mind Tiff, but literally nobody who like, I'm trying to think. Do people call me Tiff? Like my friend? I name? just texted you. I said, hey, Tiff. <laughs>
2: because I feel like sometimes when you tell stories with yourself in it, you say Tiff. So then I thought maybe yes. she likes that. Well,
1: well you know what? I don't, I feel like I don't, yeah, it's not like a thing. I'm like, it's, I feel very neutral to it. Like if someone calls yeah. me Tiff, I'm like, that's fine. You know, but it's not like, ooh, like, yeah. So, but like my real nickname, nickname, because my African name is Adochi. And so my real nickname, nickname is Udo, which is like the first half of Adochi. So like my nieces and nephew call me Auntie Utto. My Aww. sisters call me Udo, And so it's weird when my family calls me Tiffany, like, you know, because it's like, who? Oh, that's right, me. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so we have some, I'm glad you're in the studio because we have some questions to answer today. And, you know, we could use your advice. So let's see, 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 see. I think, okay, this one is anonymous. This is very exciting. So hello, um, I'm assuming they're singing this because they're Broadway actress. <clears throat> I'd like to remain anonymous if this question airs. It is girl. Um, I'm a Broadway actress and I'm wondering how to say for retirement one A, work is sporadic and B, sometimes the work is W2 union work and sometimes it is 1099 gig work. How do you Mm -hmm. set up retirement when your work is generally temporary and sometimes not connected to a retirement package? What does setup look like? I would love, oh yeah, and she would love to benefit from an artist series of people who don't hold your typical nine to five job. Thank you for all that you do Mm -hmm. and creating this safe space. And so, oh, you mean like she would just love if me and Mandy Mandy did a Mm -hmm. series of like financial advice for people who don't have nine to fives. Oh, that's actually a good idea. Let's see, what should we call her? (laughs) So you want to be <laughs> we'll just call you Broadway. Hey, Broadway. So yeah, what let's say see. you um, are news like, you know, Broadway mm. is like, girl, I'm thinking about retirement, yeah. but I get this random money here and there. So what do you think she should do? Yeah.
2: So I was really curious at one point about how much Broadway actors and performers earned. Mm-hmm. And I actually I, I posed that on my podcast because I was going to see Aladdin and I was like, oh, my mm. God, this this work is not light. You're working you know sev- 6 days a week sometimes two shows a day right so it's hard and you can't have a side hustle like you're not mm. also investing in real estate or also have like a you know passive income these people have they're giving their lives and their livelihoods to their work and so the idea of like oh but they make about if you're a star on broadway you can make a healthy six figures for okay. that run so i'm not going to assume that's what she's making but even if you're ma- whatever you're making i think that for those who have inconsistent pay, Mm -hmm. when you have the pay, you have to commit to taking, I would say, more than average, I would say 20 to 25% of that Mm -hmm. and putting it away uh, towards investing because there may be months where you're not earning. Mm -hmm. So your savings rate, your investing rate rather, should be higher, but it's going to not be every month, right? And so you just have to kind of commit to that. And as far as where you're putting that investment i mean some of that money she said is coming through a job where there might be a retirement package Mm -hmm. so start there okay and then if there's a job that's coming from work that she doesn't have a like it's it's you have to open up a roth ira okay that's like you can do that you can have you know a workplace retirement account
1: because she's that because she have both she can have like traditional retirement and a roth ira
2: yes yes and i think A lot of people we should we should diversify our tax exposure in retirement because we know with a workplace retirement account typically that's um you pay um before taxes so you're saving on taxes today Mm -hmm. versus a roth you pay after tax and so you get the you get a tax-free withdrawal in retirement so we don't know what our tax picture is going to be in retirement good to have a little bit of both um but yeah i think for those of us whether you work on broadway or you just do some sort of other work where your pay is not consistent and your income is coming from different sources. Mm-hmm. It's it, Leverage what's available to you, which is either the workplace retirement account and or a traditional or Roth IRA outside of that job.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And just you have to be, I think, a little more vigilant than uh, average workers that can just kind of like set it and forget it. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm going to do 10%, 15%. I'm going to be at this job for, for, you know, at least a year. I don't have to think about it. But it comes up more often, more frequently for, I think, those of us who have more fragmented income. We have to be more, has to be more top of mind.
1: Um, Unless, of course,
2: one more thing I want to say, unless, of course, you're at the point where you have some sort of baseline savings from which you're using to pay for your lifestyle. Okay. And you know, I, that's the ideal that when you have this sort of work that is disparate, the mm-hmm. income is disparate, that you kind of save enough to the point where even though there are gaps in how much and when you get paid, your lifestyle does not like you mm-hmm. your cash flow does not change because you have that sort of foundational savings to support those months where maybe you're not making the money um but you have to be you have to be extra committed to what you do with that paycheck when you get the paycheck
1: i call it pay the pot so like it's like when you first start working for yourself it's like no no don't pay me pay the pot so the pot can pay me a consistent yep. income yes yes you yes. know okay a, so what i'm a, hearing you say is like like okay so broadway what i'm hearing for anouche is like one like yes you want to set aside for retirement but you get to do both and quite honestly anybody can kind of do this that your your w-2 that you get from your union ask hey is there a retirement account available my assumption is yes i don't know but you know if you're getting w-2 you can ask your union what's the retirement um account that is available to me here you know put money there and you wanting to max because to farnoosh's point since you're not um, you don't make regular money. You actually have to over index. Typically, we tell people 10 to 15%, but because you get money sporadically, you have to set aside more to cover the right. times that you don't. But then also have your, your external retirement account, which is typically like a Roth. Um, and, and ideally, if you can max that out too every year. So doing both will help you to have like a really healthy, like retirement account where you get to, get your tax benefits now and then some of your tax benefits later roth lets you get your tax benefits later Mm -hmm. and uh traditional ira lets you get your tax benefits now um and then also too you know learning to pay the pot like when you do get paid, like knowing that, like, I mean, ideally, because you might not make enough to support, but ideally when you get paid, knowing that all this money is not my January money is also potentially for October too, cause I might not be working there. And so pay the pot and let the pot pay you ideally consistently. Did I wrap it up good? Like what you shared?
2: Yeah. There's a book too, that I want to recommend. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of the author. She was on your podcast and mine, Ooh. I think, and it was about tipping. But it was so her. Barbara. Okay. It was her name was Barbara. Hold on, we're gonna have to edit this. I was
1: gonna say, yeah. I was like, look, look, let's look it up.
2: Yeah. So here we go. Okay. There's also a really good book. It's called Tipped, um, and it's by Barbara Sloan, who's been on my podcast. She's a financial expert, and she writes about achieving financial freedom for people who have who work in the service industry, Mm -hmm. um, who may not have consistent income or. Really, I mean, the book is dedicated to those of us who thrive on tips. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of gems there, even for those of us who work maybe sporadically. Maybe we're not, we don't consider ourselves service industry, but we do have what is sometimes inconsistent pay or seasonal work. Mm-hmm. And Barbara really walks you through how to streamline that so that you're not feeling like there are months where you're going without that you, to your point, you've done enough where you've paid the pot, and whether you work in January or November or September, that um, it's all going to fuel this sort of cycle that you've you've created and is, is going hummingly.
1: Okay, I love it. We're gonna take a real quick break and come back with our second question. Plus, I wanna learn more about this healthy state of panic. What's this all about, you know what I'm saying? So we'll be back in one minute. Well, I don't know about one minute, but we'll be back.
0: Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. clear pay, which means that your customers have even more ways to purchase your products. So head over to squarespace.com and kickstart your journey with a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, don't forget to use our link squarespace.com brownambition brown ambition to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Just visit squarespace.com brownambition to get your discount today. Remember, your online success story begins with Squarespace. So what are you waiting for? Let's build something extraordinary together.
1: Hey, hey, BA fam, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Brown ambition. Just go to indeed.com slash Brown ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash Brown ambition terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need indeed. And we're back. You know, I forgot to do the disclosure. Y'all know me, 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 see your grandma, not us. So this advice is not to be taken with anything less than the super grainest of grainest of salts. What does that mean? That means neither myself or Farnoosh are your financial advisor. We're not your attorney, we're not your doctor. We are just your fun and fabulous financial internet cousins. We just shoot the breeze. So you're gonna hear the advice, then you're gonna run by the people that you pay, which is not us. Um, and then you got to use your advice based upon you know like that advice that you get from those folks okay so remember this is really made for you know just a little bit of entertainment that certainly you know this is not advice that um you're supposed to just take and, and do exactly what we say so hopefully mm-hmm. that is helpful um okay. see what i did there because i was like oh there's a little fear because i'm like Chill. Oh, yeah. You know? So, yeah Got me some insurance the other day. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Oh, so like yeah. like like insurance for yourself or insurance for Well, for the
2: business. Like yes. I'm not an LLC. I'm an S Corp. And okay, so it's not to be assumed that if somebody sues me, I will have some, you know, legal recourse. <laughs> so I um somehow I've gotten I mean, I guess cause I... I don't. People don't listen to me, or what? Because I've gone 20 years, and no one's ever tried to sue me. Knock on wood. But I have seen it happen, and yeah. I got like a little spooked. And I was like, I'm gonna just um, get some, you know, liability insurance. Same. Um, it's e- not. What is it E and
1: O? Is it E and O? Like what is it? The um, they have the errors and omissions insurance. There's errors and mm-hmm.
2: omissions, which this is not what I got, but I think it inc- It's it, it would include that. It's like mm-hmm. sort of um, is. I have gotten errors and omissions insurance too though in the past when I've worked with brands, they have asked me to get it because um, they require it.
1: Yeah, so speaking of fear, so what I love, this is such a great conversation like before we answer our second question, leads into your book like, so on the surface, it would seem that that kind of, like that fear in general is a bad thing, but just in this quick conversation we had about getting insurance, it fear like had me thinking like, wait a minute, is my insurance up to date? Let me make sure. So fear really was like a wake up call to make a change that is to my benefit. And so I feel like, isn't that what your book is about? A healthy state of panic.
2: Well, thank you for that plug. Yes, it is all about how fear is turning you inward. Mm. And when fear shows up, your job is not to try to destroy it. Mm. or try to pretend it's not there because being fearless is what's cool. It's to say, what are you doing here? Mm. What are you, what? Like, why are you here? And sometimes fears are irrational, but many times, especially when it involves questions around money and work, high stakes, it's there to try to protect us, to try to to get us closer to a better answer, a better landing. And I mean, like I said on your show earlier, I think every time fear has shown up in my financial life, in my career, even if I found that the fear wasn't being honest with me, Mm -hmm. because sometimes fear can be dishonest with you. It's telling you a false story. But even just recognizing that Mm -hmm. has opened doors, has been breakthroughs for me. So I've never been the kind of person who can just be like, oh, shoo, fear, or I'm fearless. Like, I don't know. I can't do that. Also, what privilege is that to be able to like think that you could just walk through life without paying attention to fear? Yeah, because somehow you can afford all the consequences. Yes. I can't. I don't know anybody, say for maybe a few people, who cannot, aff- who can just be uh, take all the risks. Yeah, and afford all of the whatever comes on the other side of that risk. And so I think I feel this like is only a- only
1: only um toddlers. Like, they're like, girl, whatever it is, but, she got it.
2: <laughs> but thank God, toddlers have fearful adults yes, around them. exactly. You know, <laughs> that are putting up the baby gates.
1: Oh my God, yo, kids are just, I was watching this like random video on Instagram because I just like, oof, because sometimes the world could be such a shit show. So I just love to watch like random funny memes. This poor boy, he had like, you know, these little capes on, Superman cape or whatever. And he was like, dad, look, he couldn't have been more than like four. Top of the steps, he jumped from the top to the bottom, oh and you could hear the thud, boom. Oh. And the way he got up, like an eighty old man holding his back, breathing heavy. Like his dad was like, "Wait, I, I didn't, I didn't know he was gonna jump down the steps like that." He was like, his dad was so calm, which is such a dad thing. He was like, "Don't." Don't let that cake gash your head up. That's what the, <laughs> so he was like, bud, He said, don't ever, ever do that again. You all right? You alright? The little boy's just oh leaning my- against the wall, like <sighs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> because meantime <time. laughs> I know. Like, but what's so crazy is that because that baby was fear, he was like, he yeah. really did believe I have this cape on. They, so clearly. Yeah. They think like, they're Superman. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but to your point, like the fear of like you know we put up those gates for them but you know because fearlessness actually is dangerous because that's psychopathic yes, yes he didn't realize like bro you could have literally broke your neck because he didn't so fearlessness i mean as much as we like i would say um i was saying in our last episode that that farnoosh is a new new pr agent uh for fear, for fear
2: i've rebranded it <laughs> um we, I, I, you know, if that's what I go down, if that's on my tombstone, <laughs> I would be a happy mama. Like I love the idea that we are giving fear a chance.
1: Yes, because it will stop you from jumping down the stairs. Because it wants. You're wearing it a, a
2: wants cake. good for us. Yes. It wants good. It doesn't always present well because <laughs> you know it shows up as like just a an annoyance or a, you know um, a hurdle, and we don't like that, but it's maybe telling us to take a beat
1: mm. or ask
2: ourselves some questions. Yes. Um, and yeah. why are we afraid? Have you ever thought to ask yourself why you're afraid? Mm. And maybe there's some wisdom in that. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not giving yourself enough credit. You know, I just think it's time. time's up on, <laughs> on
1: being fearless. <laughs> <laughs> no jumping down the stairs because you have a cape on. Speaking of being fearless, sometimes people get afraid about making certain um, certain financial choices. So we have a question from the Eye of the G and uh, this person, mm, I'm gonna call her um, Home Equity. Home Equity asked, hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> um, she said, first I wanna thank you, all caps, so much guys for being such a great resource for financial things. I love y'all, love y'all too, Home Equity. Um, Also, OMG, I was so excited to see that my company partnered with Tiffany, oh, during financial black oh child, this must have been a while ago. Anyway, anyways, moving forward, <laughs> moving forward. Okay. I remember gaining advice from Tiffany way back from Dreamcatchers, the Facebook group, and I'm just in all the levels we reach. Aw, thanks, girl. To my question: My husband and I have a lot of miscellaneous debt, and mm-hmm. most of it is below a thousand to three thousand dollars, except for one, um, and that is twenty thousand dollars we are thinking that we should take out a home equity loan about $80,000 that will allow us to consolidate all of our credit card debt thinking um like basically it totals around $35 to $40,000 and to the purchase of a secondary property okay so she wants to take out money to cover the home equity line of i'm in a uh, home equity line to cover the forty thousand dollars she owes plus to buy a second property we pay out probably a little over 1k a month for a minimum um payments on the credit cards with different interest rates we're thinking that with the home equity loan we could have a lower monthly payment and a lower rate which child i mean if you sent us to this in february mm, anyway but anyway we're still gonna answer this question so yeah. here's a question overall what do you what are your thoughts about taking a home equity um loans like one maybe first because everyone doesn't know what that is what is a home equity loan Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about taking it out out and and like how best to use it
2: great question and i think Mm -hmm. that she's got a healthy fear of this debt accumulating Mm -hmm. just being on the interest treadmill to nowhere and you know i think that in this country, we demonize debt, and we mm-hmm. think, "Oh my God, taking out another form of debt to pay off debt—that's just like you know, bad form." But I think this is a this could potentially be a good creative way to solve the credit card debt crisis that she has. Now, okay. let's take a step back. What is a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, mm-hmm. um, or a home equity loan? Mm-hmm. Which are um, they have similarities and they have some uh, some important differences. The similarities okay. are that. This is credit that is or, or debt or a loan that is uh, based on the equity that you have in your home. Okay. So if let's say you have a, uh, a home that's worth $300,000, your mortgage is 200, you have $100,000 in home equity, right? That's like what is, if you were to sell that house, that's what you would take out. So you can go to a bank and say as collateral, I'd like to put my house up in exchange for some, some credit from you, a loan or a line of credit. And that's what they call a home equity line of credit. So the bank basically takes uh, your equity and (laughs) holds it hostage and then gives you um, either a line of credit, which is sort of like a credit card with a line of credit against that home equity or a loan, which would come with a fixed rate and a term. Um, Depending on what you need this money for, it may make sense to have a line of credit versus a loan. Mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a minute. But when it comes to whether or not to take out a HELOC or a home equity loan. I think a lot of people like to do this when they do have, let's say, high interest debt, mm-hmm. and they want to use a HELOC or a loan. which right now the, the rates are about, they're about mortgage rates. They're about 7% to okay. maybe 8%. That's with good credit, excellent credit, mm-hmm. which is not the best we've seen, but mm-hmm. it still might be lower than a 15% or 25% credit card. Credit card mm-hmm. Right. So that in that sense the math makes sense to take out this debt over here with a lower interest rate use it to pay off the credit cards and then start paying off the eight percent debt the risk of course is that it's your home equity that's tied to this as opposed to a credit card which has no collateral but if you're you know in a financial bind or your house drops in value there's some risk but again i think one thing to keep in mind when you're taking out a home equity whether it's a line of credit or a loan and banks will insist upon this is you don't take out the entire equity. Mm-hmm. You take out a portion of it, usually no more than 80%, in this case it sounds like maybe even less than that. Mm-hmm. So the risk is the risk gets lesser and lesser the lower the amount of equity you take out because um you know, you'll have to pay that back and depending on your job security and your you know, the value of your home and all that it's important to take into consideration all of that. Now, whether to take out a HELOC or a HE loan, mm-hmm. um, remember: if you take out a HE loan, the first payment comes due that next month. Okay. It's like the clock starts because they've given you this cash. It's like a student loan.
1: Okay. You know,
2: it's like a private loan. You you take it and then you got to start paying it back right away. If you don't need the money right away, because maybe you're using this for like a home renovation project or an mm-hmm. emergency. You know, you don't want that. You want a home equity line of credit. Okay. Which means you can draw on this like a credit card, okay. as much as you want, as little as you want, as frequently as you want, but then you gotta start paying it back like a like the a moment credit you card. Start to, okay. The moment you start to take to draw down on it. Okay. So I have actually taken out a home equity line of credit. Okay. Uh in February. Um, the rates, I think it was like seven or six percent, six percent, I think, uh, which is which is pretty good. One thing I will tell you, your audience, there a lot of banks have gotten out of this business. Okay. It's not a very profitable business for banks. Mortgages in general are not that much profit. And we have heard big banks talk about how, like, they are not investing in, like, their mortgage departments because it's just the spread was never... I mean, especially in the pandemic, 3%. I mean, that's a very low spread for a bank. Yes. So HELOCs, I think there are just a few banks, big banks that offer them. So do a, a search online. You can go and apply um online and get your rates and it can be pretty quick you can get this probably in a month if you have all your ducks in a row and you're you stay on top of it um but we took one out because for us it felt like you know we built a lot of equity in our home Mm -hmm. and we felt like let's just take a little bit of it out as like a plan d in case you know for whatever reason We lose our jobs there's a disability like i don't know i'm again healthy state of panic i was Mm -hmm. like why not if this is accessible to us and also i don't have to pay it back until i start using it yeah there's absolutely no risk in having this but it is the lowest form the cheapest form of debt that i can have access to right now why wouldn't i
1: you know it's funny you say that because literally a friend of mine who is very wealthy she was like we were just talking and she was like um cuz I, I meet with my financial advisor um Anjali she's awesome and she was like you know tell your own um, financial advisor like hey what do you think about me taking out you know a home equity not loan cuz I don't need the money but to have a, you know home e- equity line of credit and I was like but I don't need it she was like yes but she said because to your point she said the same thing she said lots of banks are closing shop on that That way you'll have access just in case, Tiffany, things go wrong because I have two properties and both of which I own 100 percent. And she said, this will allow you to have access to a lot of money just in case something happens. And, you know, you just you just have it as a backup. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. So it's funny that this came up because I was just about to ask Anjali, like when I meet with her on Wednesday, you know, what do you think? Like, should I? Because in my mind, I was like, but I don't need it. It's like, that's the point. Like well, even yeah. for people who are wealthy but value cash yeah. and value liquidity, yeah.
2: if you're going to do, let's say, an investment project or work on your home mm-hmm. or invest in another business and you don't want to put all of the money in right away, you mm-hmm. want to do it in installments and you want to finance it because that's going to buy you more time and more liquidity than also a sophisticated way to use a HELOC. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember back in the day, my um, parents and their friend they would use their home equity to pay for college. Yeah. For their kids. Now mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if that's what I would do these days because yeah. college is so expensive. My now. dad,
1: my parents did that for my yeah. sister, the baby. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, because I don't know, maybe the student loan rates were really, really high. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but um, they just uh, that's what they did. And actually, uh, if you read my first book, "You're So Money." when I, the only reason I was able to afford my first apartment in New York um, is it was a studio and it was like $298,000. And I was making like, not, not, I was not making enough to afford that on my own, mm-hmm. but my parents had equity in their home. Mm-hmm. They took it out, bought that with cash. It's the rich dad, poor dad
1: yes.
2: method. And then I took out a HELOC and paid my parents back
1: wow for the most part
2: like immediately
1: loop-de-loop loop-de-loop
2: and then i refinance that heloc into a fixed rate mortgage because the thing to watch out with it watch out for with the heloc which i failed to mention is that some are variable rates and some are fixed okay and you really want to know what you're getting yourself into um because rates are already high you don't want it to get higher so you might sacrifice a lower rate just so that you can get it fixed and locked in yeah. And that's honestly, that's
1: the thing. Like, I, it's funny because I, I'm so glad. that you share that because I, I, had Ramit on our, um, on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, Ramit is, is famously, I don't want to say anti-homeownership, but certainly like, look at your number. He's not a fan of home ownership. He's like, please, you don't have to have ownership, home ownership. To you know, to for wealth or whatever. So I challenged him a little bit, which in general I'm like I understand because Rami. I mean, he lives in San Francisco now, I believe, but he was living in New York. And so sometimes the math just don't math. This is like child for what you know. But what I was telling him is I've been doing all this research lately and just become obsessed with the racial wealth gap, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that is the gap between black and brown people and their net worth, and um, and basically white America, and the gap between. I know for, for between black and white is I think the average um, white household, the net worth there is like 130,000 and for black households is 14,000. And I mean, that is huge and it's mm-hmm. gonna get worse because it I'm not going to say it's going to, but it is getting worse because it actually wasn't as bad like years prior, but it's getting worse. And one of the financial indicators or one of the, the levers to um, this racial wealth gap is not just home ownership, but also like the um, the value of homes. Like my home was like underappraised for about forty thousand dollars, which is the average that Black homes are underappraised. Um, so I just shared that because you just shared like how I mean I hear Rami what he's saying about most people don't look at their amortization table, which tells you how much you're really paying for the house, typically right. double. So the the math doesn't always math, you know, not always. But I I push back on him to say I hear you, but. One of the reasons where there is this gap in wealth between brown and non-brown is that is home ownership. It doesn't always work out, but when it does, like your parents were able to set you up for your own home. It's like Because what else do they have access to if they did not have that home? My parents too, they bought their house for $250,000 when I was nine years old. Their house is worth over a million dollars now. And so if something were to happen, my parents could, and it's paid off, they could tap into that equity and Mm -hmm. do something for their kids if something were to happen. Not so
2: easy to take a loan out against your stock investments. (laughs) I mean, you (laughs) can do that, but that's very sophisticated. And by the way, when you sell your home and you pull the cash out, yes, you have to deduct for, in your mind, you're like, okay, well, I feel like I'm rich because I have all this cash, but actually I've put in so much money that maybe it doesn't doesn't matter though cuz i got the cash now yes. and i'm moving on and i don't even have to pay tax on that mm-hmm. because there's you know up to a certain amount so you have mobility when you sell you can use that money like tax free right mm-hmm. away and i'm not i'm not anti stocks i'm not saying real estate's a better investment but mm-hmm. i do think that when we get into like amortization tables yeah. the average person doesn't care about that because the truth of the matter is when you sell your home and that cash goes into your bank account you can move quickly and well with that money, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what you did. You you made it work. You got here. Yeah. Every time I've sold, I've moved up in life. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And and it goes back to my parents getting creative. Yes. With that HELOC. Yes. And I can't it gives say that regular can be people an opportunity to have access to a number amount of money that they would not have access to. Because your parents would just say, "Hey, bank, would love to get two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars for our daughter." The bank would be like, "Bye." But like it's like, hey bank, I have this asset that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now the bank's like, now we're talking. And so, mm-hmm. so I just you know, I always like to show both sides of the equation. I understand what he's saying, but I also too, I want, especially people of color, which is largely who listens to Brown Ambition, hence why it's called Brown Ambition, that to understand that home ownership, equity, um, the value of your home is a huge component to our lack of net worth. And like, that is the thing I'm going to be leaning like a lot of my energy into is like, how do we get more black and brown people mm-hmm. to home in a way that does bring um, wealth? Yeah. But so, yeah. I
2: mean, I appreciate the message just because I think there's a lot of shame around someone who doesn't own and then the, them thinking that they're not actually an adult yeah. or they're not actually financially successful and they'll never be financially successful. I think that that is an important message and a myth to dispel. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want someone to hear that homeownership is a scam mm-hmm. not that that's what we're saying here mm-hmm. or anyone saying, but that can get misconstrued. Yeah. And then they never even look under it to say, well, is there a strategy? Is there mm-hmm. something, way a way to get creative? Um, are there things I'm not considering yeah. as opposed to just branding it as like a yes. false bill of goods?
1: Yes. Yeah. So no, I love that. And so I think that that leads into kind of your book about fear, right? So Mm -hmm. a lot of people have not purchased homes or whatever because of that fear. And there's nothing wrong with leaning into the fear, but asking yourself again, what am I actually afraid of? You know? Right,
2: right. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like with a lot of financial fears, it's thinking about where does this fear come from? Mm -hmm. Who taught me this? Mm -hmm. Why do I believe this? I mean, I interviewed somebody on my podcast who funny enough was raised thinking that um buying a home was a waste of money and this was a generation when it was the opposite you know it's all Mm -hmm. now we're talking about maybe there's like saying things to look out for when you're buying it's not always a win Mm -hmm. but she was like why would I um you know buy the father was like told the daughter why would you ever buy a home you know you you don't have mobility blah 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 which is true Mm -hmm. but then she inherited that Mm. as a as a finite kind of rule of law. And, and any anyone who would bring up home ownership to her, it was like, it made her afraid mm. because she felt like she was going against her father. It felt like she was um doing something wrong. And so she's like, oh man, I was that was bad. You know, I, I should have sat with that fear and go, who taught me that? Yeah. We learn about money from so many people, so many influences, and sometimes we're grateful for it. And sometimes we need to just kick those fears to the curb, Mm -hmm. but you have to recognize the source so that you can begin to rewrite that narrative for yourself. And so whether your fear is to own or to rent question where that fear is coming from and is it legit? Is this actually what you want Mm -hmm. as opposed to what, uh, the fear is suggesting because that fear has attached itself Mm -hmm. onto you from your mother from your father from your Mm -hmm. culture from your friends i would also say for anyone who's afraid of big decisions around money in their financial life whether it is um, the fear of you know talking about money with a partner because then that's going to lead into a fight or fear of starting a business because then that's going to fail you know thinking about what if you don't do the thing What if you don't start the business? What if you don't have the conversation about money? What if you don't get your ducks in a row and pay off that debt? Um, I think that there's something scarier awaiting you, potentially, which could be an unactualized life. It could be a relationship that dead ends because we all know when you don't communicate about anything, that's never good. And so thinking about worst case scenarios sometimes or the, the actual what could happen, it's not to, um, I say that in the book, as, as not a way to like make you get deeper and darker into your fears and like feel trapped, but actually because when we go to the edge sometimes and we see how mm-hmm. bad things can actually get, that is when we are motivated to get up and do something, to get up and voice, to get up and make a change. It's very easy to sometimes sit with your fears and idle. But what I challenge people, and what I offer is think about what if you what if that is your existence for the next year yeah you think that life is just gonna hang out life is gonna move on yeah fast forward yourself a year from now you haven't done anything or you've done you've let fear stop you from doing something mm-hmm. what does that look like
1: I always are say you the, okay with that that five years is gonna pass either way god willing so it's yeah. like where will it meet you you know stuck or Actively like choosing the life that you're wanting to live, you know, we're we'll, like meet you. It's gonna pass either way.
2: And just accept that there are gonna be failures, just yeah. accept that things won't always go your way. But I think that a life of mobility and action is far better than a life of stasis. Yes. And just yes. being um overwhelmed to the point where you're afraid, you're letting your fears stop you from making a decision. Instead, let your fears propel you mm. to do the thing.
1: No, I love that. Thank you so much for our news. So, where can the girls and the guys? Because we got like two people. Um, yes, <laughs> we always tease we call the guys who listen to our show Jerome. Because it's like one time, like I think I met this guy. His name was Jerome. I'm like, he's like, it was like the first guy that ever came up to me. He was like, oh my god, I love your podcast. I was like, you listen. And he was like, yeah. So since then, I'm like, oh, hey, Jerome. Hey, it's like, just like three of y'all. But um, where can, where can the I girls of Jerome <laughs> listen? Jerome, if you're listening, go to a healthy
2: stateofpanic.com. And if you purchase the book before it runs, uh, launches officially on October 3rd. Make sure to get your bonuses mm-hmm. at the website. Some really, really valuable stuff headed your way if you support the pre- the pre-launch which we know is a really important time to support authors it's yes. like what decides whether a, a it, your book will show up in a bookstore whether mm-hmm. you make a bestseller list all of that important stuff
1: no i love that a healthy state of panic.com and if they want to follow you on the social i know they you said you have just one that you really lean into where can they I'm do really that?
2: leaning into instagram yeah okay. at farnoosh tarabi so thank you so much
1: for coming for thank our news you, Tiffany. thank uh, you so much i hope y'all enjoyed listening to baqa if you have questions that need answers um i just want to hear you know your favorite internet financial cousins chat about it um you can go to brown and click contact us and ask questions there you can slide into the dms on broad ambition podcast on ig um tweet us the B A podcast. Um, or just even email us, Ambition podcast at gmail.com. Somebody go tell Mandy I remembered it all, because usually I'm like, girl, I don't remember. <laughs> but I did it! Um, so yeah, we love your questions, and we try our best to answer them with kindness, clarity, and hopefully, information. Until next week, bye, y'all.
0: Hey, BA fam, we could not do this show without your support or the support of our team behind the scenes. The Brown Ambition podcast is produced by Imani Crosby and Dennis Stemplinski is our in-house tech guru. I am your co-host, Mandy Woodruff-Santos, and we will see y'all next week, BA fam.